Hello world, this is Roger Corvale and this is For the Hope. Here we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. I don't know about you, but there is never a day that goes by that I forget to eat something. The crazy thing is I probably should do some forgetting to eat or a lot more working out. But I'm curious why when it comes to wanting to be close to God and experience him more in our lives, why do we struggle sometimes to feed our spiritual hunger when we don't struggle to feed our physical hunger? Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's listener-supported daily audio Bible, where we read through every word of God's revelation of himself and consider our own life and work stories in light of that, including, I hope, our desires to have meaningful lives and make a difference in our world. Think about it. We don't gain 30 pounds in 24 hours. We do it a little at a time. And that's how we get to today finishing up our fourth trip through the Old Testament here on this podcast. And in case you're wondering, we're just a couple months away from our sixth trip through the New Testament. And in our closing reflection, I'm going to share with you one thing that I hope will encourage you to give yourself some grace and just keep on keeping on. As we turn to our New Testament segment, remember that yesterday we read Jesus talking about multiple lines of evidence that point to him and affirm that he is who he says he is. God the Father himself is a point of evidence. Jesus' own works and miracles are a couple lines of evidence. And the Bible, what to us would be the Old Testament, his Bible. So we, like the Jews who rejected him, don't really have an excuse for knowing who God is and what is required of us. We also heard him say that there are consequences, eternal consequences for rejecting him. Rejecting him is rejecting God, is rejecting scripture, and rejecting scripture is rejecting him, is rejecting God. So if we are guilty of that, and we all are without the regeneration that comes only from him, What do we need? Exactly what they needed. A new and greater Moses to lead us out of slavery. And that gets us up to John chapter 6. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, and a huge crowd was following him because when they saw signs he was performing by healing the sick, Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, Where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? By the way, you know where the story's going, but did you ever just stop to think that Jesus sees the crowd and and is asking a question of personal responsibility? Hey, how are we going to take care of these people? He asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, 
There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down, and the men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, Collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, and he was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at shore where they were heading. Friends, that gets us up through verse 21. Miraculously feeding the people, miraculously crossing the sea? Who is this guy? The one they were looking for. The one you are looking for. For reasons I'm not going to go into right now, remember that unlike our English Old Testament, which ends with Malachi, the Hebrew Bible, Jesus' Bible, ends with the book of Chronicles. So if you were reading the Hebrew Bible, the very end of it would read like this. Second Chronicles chapter 36. Then the common people took Jehoahaz, son of Josiah, and made him king in Jerusalem in place of his father. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. The king of Egypt deposed him in Jerusalem and fined the land 7,500 pounds of silver and 75 pounds of gold. Then Necho of Egypt made Jehoahaz's brother Eliakim king over Judah, and Jerusalem, and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took his brother Jehoahaz and brought him to Egypt. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Now King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked him and bound him in bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. Also, Nebuchadnezzar took some of the articles of the Lord's temple to Babylon and put them in his temple in Babylon. The rest of the deeds of Jehoiakim, the detestable actions he committed, and what was found against him are written in the book of Israel's kings. His son Jehoiakim became king in his place. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem. 
He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. In the spring, Nebuchadnezzar sent for him and brought him to Babylon along with the valuable articles of the Lord's temple. Then he made Jehoiakim's brother Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before the prophet Jeremiah at the Lord's command. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear allegiance by God. He became obstinate and hardened his heart against returning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the leaders of the priests and the people multiplied their unfaithful deeds, limited imitating all the detestable practices of the nations, and they defiled the Lord's temple that he had consecrated in Jerusalem. But but the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word against them by the hand of his messengers, sending them time and again, for he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Pause. What's the most frequent emotion that we ever see out of Jesus in the New Testament? Compassion. Continuing. But the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word against them by the hand of his messengers, sending them time and time again, for he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept ridiculing God's messengers, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the Lord's wrath was so stirred up against his people that there was no remedy. So he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their fit young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. He had no pity on the young men or the young women, the elderly or aged. He handed them all over to him. He took everything to Babylon, all the articles of God's temple, large and small, the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials, Then the Chaldeans burned God's temple. They tore down Jerusalem's wall, burned all its palaces, and destroyed all its valuable articles. He deported those who escaped from the sword to Babylon, and they became servants to him and his sons until the rise of the Persian kingdom. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, And the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the days of the desolation until 70 years were fulfilled. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and also put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of the heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord his God be with him. And that ends the book of Chronicles. And that ends our fourth trip through the whole Old Testament. At this last moment in this book of Chronicles, the chronicler has reminded his readers that the promised seed of David has not yet come. Even Josiah, one of the almost good ones, failed at a crucial moment to obey the will of God and the words of David regarding the promise of an eternal kingdom lie behind Josiah's tragic end. 
If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. That's 1 Chronicles 28.9. I'm going to read that again, my friends. Because sometimes a complaint is that God hasn't provided enough evidence for his existence, for his love, for what we should do, for who we are and why we need a savior. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Despite such utter devastation, the final section of Chronicles ends with hope of restoration. Right? That's what that's what Judaism is still looking for. When Cyrus of Persia comes to power, Yahweh moves him to declare that he will rebuild Yahweh's house and that God's people can return to their land. Of course, the way the Hebrew Bible ends goes hand in hand with, as I just mentioned, Judaism, which is still looking for the promised Messiah, because the Hebrew Bible is thematically arranged while your English Old Testament ends with Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament chronologically. But when you turn the page, so to speak, to the New Testament and you start reading Matthew, what do you get? A genealogy. Those are important, even though we kind of breeze over those, right? But Matthew is laying out a case, and it continues beyond the genealogy, but it starts with the genealogy. Matthew is laying out a case to a Jewish audience that this is the guy. Jesus, this is the guy. I want to share just a little something from uh, Matt Carter and Josh Redberg um, from their commentary on John. Talking about this new Moses. My friends, as we close out the Old Testament here, it's really useful to just see how God's pattern has been in play going way back. Well, and since John just made the point that uh, by the way he shared things, that Jesus is a better Moses. Get this. This is Matt Carter and Josh Redberg. First, Jesus is leading a crowd just like Moses did. Moses was a leader of Israel when Israel escaped from slavery in Egypt. And when we think of Moses, we think of a man leading a large crowd from Egypt to the promised land. Second, the crowd is following Jesus because they saw the signs he did. Well, why did the crowd follow Moses? They saw the signs he did in Egypt. Moses was the one God used to bring the ten plagues on Egypt, and those signs authenticated his role as one sent by God. Third, Jesus and his disciples went up on the mountain, and after performing signs and leading Israel out of Egypt, Moses and his servant Joshua went up on the mountain to receive the law from God. Fourth, these events took place during the Passover a yearly Jewish festival celebrating what? When God rescued his people out of Egypt. The final plague was the death of the firstborn. God commanded Moses to have each family kill a lamb and spread its blood on the doorpost of their house. And if they did, death would pass over them and their firstborn would be spared. So Moses is a type, a foreshadow of the Messiah. 
But what we've learned from John so far is that Jesus is nothing short of God himself. The good news is, as we talked about yesterday, false messiahs abound, promising easy victory and political power and material advantage. But what does Jesus offer? Blood on the doorpost, himself on the cross. My friends, uniquely in the person and work of Jesus then, in all the history of all the cosmos, the God-man unites the offices of prophet, priest, and king, becomes the perfect sacrificial lamb, and he's fully human so as to take on the sins of human beings in the world and that keep us enslaved to death, and he's fully God so that he can pay the infinite debt accrued in our offense of an infinitely good and just God. And he's the fulfiller of the law whose resurrection demonstrated who he is, and he is who he says he is, not only vindicating a unity from creation to consummation of God's story, but providing the ultimate hope not through avoiding suffering via earthly victories or politics or resources, but through suffering via the cross. So let's wrap up on uh, our Old Testament here with a song, a song of ascents. A Psalm of David, Psalm 124. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us. Then the water would have engulfed us, the torrent would have swept over us, the raging water would have swept over us, Blessed be the Lord, who has not let us be ripped apart by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the hunter's net. The net is torn, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My friends, tomorrow we pick up Genesis chapter 1. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Father in heaven, thank you for becoming Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for giving us evidence to be found by honest seekers, a God who speaks in the books of nature and scripture. And Father, as we open the book of Genesis tomorrow, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, from you, maker of heaven and earth. Thank you, Lord, for making us beautiful in your sight by Jesus' blood. And it's in his name that we lift this up. Amen. I love you. I love you. I love...